All right, we're going to be in the book of Exodus. We're going to be in chapter 32, if you want to go ahead and go there with me. You guys excited to be here? Yeah? I am too. I am too. It's going to be a good day. It is a good day. Um, excited about the warm temps. Uh, could do without the rain, but I guess you got to give one to get the other. So um, we are in the middle of a series. That's right. We are in the middle of a series uh, called No Longer Slaves, and uh, <clears throat> we're wrapping it up. I should say we're at the end. We're wrapping it up today, and uh, we're going to be talking about how we're not slaves to sin. Uh, but I want to tell you I'm excited because those of you who were around for the last year or so, maybe today is pinging in your memory because it was about one year ago that we relaunched Access on April 16th, 2017. So that's crazy. Some of you are here for that day. And it's always weird for me to decide exactly how old our church is when people ask because for some of you in the room, you're like, yeah, we're just like turning one year old. But for others of you in the room, you're like, no, no, no. Like we were here like in 2015. We launched actually in 2015 and we kind of took a break as sometimes church plants do to relaunch and all that stuff. So we're actually closer to two and a half years old. But uh, nevertheless, it's exciting to, uh, to get started. And uh, so I'd like to pray one more time before we jump into the message. <clears throat> God, thank you for today. Thank you for this message that uh, is honestly burning inside of my soul. I'm excited about it because it's, it's, it's not just a, a history lesson. It, it, is a, it is a lesson for us today. It's, it's an admonition for us to place our trust in you and our faith in you and that, that we are, um, we've learned that we're not slaves to death because your son Jesus uh, defeated death and the grave when he rose again almost 2,000 or around 2,000 years ago. We, we've learned that we're not slaves to fear, um, that, that even though Moses was afraid to, to jump into his task, that we learned that we're not, a, we're not slaves to fear, that, that perfect love actually casts out fear. Uh, and so thank you for that. As we are studying today about um, how we are not slaves to sin. God, I pray that you would help us. I pray that you'd help me as I deliver uh, your message today, and I pray that you'd help us uh, be open to what, what your word wants to say today. God, and just while I'm praying, I just want to help. I uh, want to ask you to help the Cavs uh, through the postseason <laughs> and eventually beat the uh, Warriors, the Rockets, whoever we face. But we, we know that you love LeBron James and the Cavs, and you want to do something great with that team. It's in your name I pray. Amen. You got to get it in while you're praying, right? Okay, tough crowd, got it. All right, um, so Exodus 32 um, is where we're going to be. I learned something a while back uh, about circus elephants. And circus elephants are interesting. You have to train them when they're babies or else the whole thing goes, goes bad. Maybe you've, you've seen um, viral videos of, of things going bad at the circus where the animals decide they don't want to do tricks anymore and they would like to run in the crowd and cause a ruckus. Um, and, uh, and so baby elephants, I've learned, have to be trained in such a way that um, you, you, they're, they're, they're obviously huge as babies, but as babies, they're as small as they're ever going to be, obviously. And in order to get them to stay in one spot, you have to drive this 10-foot, like, spike into the ground, and, and it's got to be iron, and you've got to tie this thing to its foot, and it will, it will fight, and it will try to get away from it, but obviously a baby elephant might not be strong enough to get away from that. But what I've learned about these circus elephants is when they train them, um, you, you think about how uh, elephants never forget. Have you heard that line? Um, it's interesting that this would play against them in that way because as a fully grown elephant in the circus specifically, if you tie a, a rope 
to an elephant that has been trained, right, to not move. Because as a baby elephant, they knew it was impossible to get away from this rope. And so they tried and tried and tried. They wear themselves out. They get sad. By the way, you can Google this, and you're going to find a ton of, like, anti-circus, you know, stuff like that. This is awful. We shouldn't be doing this to elephants. But, like, you can go look it up, and it's there. And and so that's what you're going to find. But but what, what happens to these adult elephants is that they are so used to being Um, bridled by this rope, by being constrained, being enslaved literally by this rope that they won't even try to get away. In fact, what I've read is that you could even just tie a rope to a tiny little stake in the ground. And a full-grown elephant is used to, if it's been trained correctly, is used to being held down by that rope and won't even try. It has full power, right? It has more power than any of the humans that tied this elephant down. But in its mind... It's enslaved to this. It's not going anywhere because what does this elephant know? Well, I can't get away. I'm, I'm just here. I'm stuck. And some of us feel that way sometimes. Some of us feel that we are stuck when what the gospel would say is that we've been freed from fear, from death, and from sin. But we sometimes, we picture ourselves as we've got this rope that's tied to this stake in the ground and what happened when Jesus died on the cross and rose three days later, is he broke the power of that sin. But that doesn't mean that we can't give power back to the enemy in believing some of those lies. So this message is interesting. It's going to be rooted in Exodus 32. We're going to find it all over the place in the New Testament. And what we want to say today is this, if I can just give you the answer to the test before we even start. If you are a Christ follower, if you have put your faith in Jesus, if you have surrendered your life in a very practical way, then what the gospel says about you is that you are no longer a slave to sin, fear, or death, that you are freed up to follow Christ. It actually would say that you are a slave of one thing, sin, or if you've, if you've found Christ, that you are actually a slave to righteousness. Or in other words, you're freed up to follow Christ because the chains of sin and death have been broken. So we as a body of believers have to, have to, have to, have to pay attention, not to the chain that's on our foot, but on the very words that Jesus spoke. Because when Jesus spoke these words, he's telling us more truthful things than we can even see with our own eyes. Sometimes we see the problems that we're in. Sometimes we remember the things that we experienced as a kid, as a teenager, as a young adult. Sometimes we remember the ugly things that we did. There's so many times I have the opportunity to talk to people and they say, well, you don't know what I've done. I'm a little too far gone. I I don't know that Jesus could ever save me. I have some pretty awful stuff in my past. And what the gospel says is that all of that is cast as far from the east as from the west when you are surrendering to Christ and giving him your life. He, on the cross, took your sin on himself and brought that to the grave and left it in the grave when he rose again. That's good news. That's like, let's pray and go home, right? That is good news. But we sometimes, as Christians, we sometimes put those chains back on when Jesus has taken them off. 
Exodus chapter 32, we're going to read the first uh, five verses. You're going to see a group of people, a group of Israelites who have been freed from Egyptian slavery. And here's what happens. Moses is on Mount Sinai. He's having a conversation with God that is not normal in human history. And he's going to come down with the Ten Commandments in just a moment. But right before that happens... They're going to break one right before they get it. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. Which is, if you're just having like a, what? That doesn't make any sense. You're in the vast majority. This is very strange. I don't know anyone that would say, let's make something and call it a god. So, we, we go on. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses, but... But uh, who brought us here out of the land of Egypt? Verse 2 through 3. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives, which all the women here were just like, no thanks, I'll keep them. Take the, take the earrings off, take the rings, all the daughters, all bring your jewelry to me. All the people took the gold rings from the ears and brought them to Aaron. And then verse 4 through 5 finishes off. Aaron took the gold, melted it down, molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, check this out. Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Again, what? You mean you just, like, my kids create things in Legos. I never, ever, ever am like, hey, kids, let's gather around. Let's worship this thing that we just created. That would be bonkers, and you would all have me committed. Rightly so. This is the same situation. It's just weird. It's one of the weirdest moments in the, in the whole Old Testament. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. What a jacked up picture. What a, like, they have been enslaved physically in chains. And, and, and they, are, they are servants to the Egyptian empire. They are building bricks and they're building pyramids, you know, step by step. And, and, and they've been freed by God in a miraculous, right, ten plagues, right, parting the Red Sea. They're going to need food and water, so he rains down manna for them to eat. And they are complaining, they are grumbling, and they would say things like, we wish we were back in slavery because at least back then we were eating good. And while we can all have a moment where we're like, silly Israelites, you know, like we laugh at that, we also do that ourselves. We do that ourselves because we have a moment maybe where we put our faith in Jesus. Um, maybe like for me, it was, it was through youth group. Maybe it's through youth camp or maybe a church service or, or something. Maybe a friend uh, share the gospel with you. Whatever happened, you accepted Christ if you're a Christian here. And, and, and at some point, you probably felt tempted to go back to that old lifestyle. I sure did like it the way that sin made me feel. I sure did like it when I was engaged in that. Like that, that, that old lifestyle was fun. I kind of want that back. And so we start to creep out of the provision that God gave us and back into this slavery mindset. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Sin starts in the heart. Sin starts in the heart. You realize that they were freed from slavery but they put themselves right back in it. Sin starts in the heart. They were, they were in slavery, honestly, because of how sinful they were. And God was punishing them, and he was, he was molding them into a group of people that could be used. And as soon as they would be freed from slavery, they would go right back to complaining, and they would go right back to their sin. So I don't know what it is about us, but we sometimes love to put ourselves back in these shackles. R.C. Sproul had a quote that really uh, 
got to the heart of what we're wanting to talk about today. He said this, sin is cosmic treason. It's treason against a perfectly pure sovereign. It is an act of supreme ingratitude toward the one to whom we owe everything, to the one who has given us life itself. Have you ever considered the deeper implications of the slightest sin? What are we saying to our creator when we disobey him at the slightest point? We are saying no to the righteousness of God. We are saying, God, your law is not good. My judgment is better than yours. Your authority does not apply to me. I am above and beyond your jurisdiction. I have the right to do what I want to do, not what you have commanded me to do. We do that. We put ourselves in these shackles, and and R.C. Sproul had it right. He said, we are saying no to the law of God. We're saying no to your authority. We're saying our judgment is better. than That is purely what we're saying. We know better than the creator of the universe, and we've got it so backwards when we do that. We are, we are people most to be pitied when we would say, I, I, I know better than God. When God is not only in this moment right now, but he's past, present, and future. He sees all. He knows all. He, he was there when we were created in our mother's womb. He says he knew us, that he appointed us, that he, was, he, 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 he knit us together in our mother's womb. He, he knows the end of the story. He is working through human history and all of this and uh, in the midst of all of this, we, we lose trust in him. We were enslaved, and we go right back to our sins. Sin, sin starts in the heart. Jesus would talk about this image, um, this idea with the image of fruit. In Matthew chapter 7, he's going to say this. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 and 16. Beware of false prophets. Or in other words, he's going to say, you, you can tell people um, who they truly are by their fruit. They come in disguise as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. This is where the sheep in wolves' clothing, uh, or wolves in sheep's clothing, excuse me, comes from. You can identify them by their fruit. That is, by the way they act. So Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he was saying, listen, if you're looking for who, you know, which team people are on, whether they're truly surrendered to, to me um, and, and my father, or whether they're living their own life, whether they're going to choose their own sin, or whether they're going to live in the rescue you that God gives us, you can see what kind of seed is planted in their heart by what kind of fruit is hanging on that tree, right? This should scare us. This should scare us because all throughout the Bible, there's all these images of like, in fact, in James, when James is talking about the words that we say, he would say, listen, it's, you don't have fresh water and salt water in the same body of water. It's one or the other. Or if you plant an apple seed, you know, an apple tree seed. It's, gonna, it's not going to bloom oranges. It's not going to be anything other than. So what it is that sunk deep down in your heart, what at the very end of the day, when you have to answer to God where you have placed your faith, your fruit actually answers that question already. Your fruit has already shown God. God doesn't necessarily, though God can see the heart, right? God can see all, the, God can know the heart. When we run from God, when we lie to God, this is hilarious. When we, when we are uh, like saying to God who knows all, like, no, I, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. You know, what we're saying is that we think we can hide from him. And what, what, we're, what we're showing him is our fruit. Our fruit is maybe a heart is filled with lies. Maybe it's a heart is filled with whatever. So, so he, he talks to his disciples in terms of fruit. He would also talk to Israelites in terms of, of these people who thought they weren't sinful. In John chapter 8, he's going to say it this way. Jesus is talking to the Jews who had believed him. If you abide in my word, 
you are truly my disciples, right? So that's easy, right? If you abide in my word, you're truly my disciple. You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Again, verses that you've heard in culture and that you realize kind of where they stem from. Verse 33 keeps going. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. So all of us who just got a history lesson are realizing these people have got it wrong, right? This is like you and me saying, no, no, mom, I, I didn't lie to you. Right? No, mom, I, I cleaned my room, I promise. No, mom, no, dad, you know, like when we lie to our parents, and now those of you who are parents in the room, and you know all the lies, uh, teenagers in the room should be very scared right now, because we know, we know you're lying to us, right? So we've tried all those tricks before, right? I remember one time, this is just, just me being a child, when, when I was a kid, I remember one time I was so desperate. This is so stupid. I can't believe I'm going to use this illustration. But all my friends in kindergarten had uh, markers. And I didn't have markers. I had crayons. But everyone had markers, and I really wanted markers. And so I asked my mom, I said, will you go buy me some markers? And she said, well, they weren't on the class list, so I'm not going to buy them. I said, mom, everyone has markers. I really want markers. She said, I tell you what, you get your teacher to write me a note home, and I will buy you markers. And you know what simple, sweet little Mark did? With my dad's stationery and with crayons, I wrote a note from my teacher and brought it home. And I said, here's my, here's my note from my teacher. And it's written in like child font, you know, with crayons, with my dad's stationery. And I'm like, here's my note from home. And my mom, who must have just caved under the pressure at this point because the cuteness was on overload, right? She was just, here's the markers. Like, if you're going to go to that length, of course it's a lie, but if you're going to go to that length. But, uh, they're lying to themselves. We've never been enslaved to anyone. We're the people of Abraham. The, the, the biggest lie, okay, so if you're coming from, from Jewish descent, I, I hope you're not offended here, but, but I, want, I want you to know that this has been one of the supreme lies that the Jewish people have believed. We're the offspring of Abraham, or in other words, we have the lineage to get us in. And what Jesus is going to say is, that doesn't get you in. It's never been about lineage. It's never been about being born into any sort of religion. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Verses 36 and, and, and on, or 37. I know that you're offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. Uh, he put the dagger in there. He said, I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. In other words, if you are one of my children, then abide in my words. Like Abraham was great. He's the father of many nations. He's the father of this faith. Obviously, there's lots of good out of Abraham, but you do not come to faith because Abraham is your great-grandpa. The Paul would write in Romans later, he's going to say uh, that Abraham believed God and gr that's how he got his righteousness. It was never just because God thought he was cool, God thought he was special or anything like this. He placed his faith in God and that's why he was credited with righteousness. Literally, God put like righteousness in his account like you would deposit in your account. But that, uh, that account will never run dry. It will always overflow. It can't be on the basis then of what you do. It has to be on the basis of what Jesus has done. His perfect work on the cross as a perfect sacrifice, rising again, defeating sin, leaving it in the grave. So we ought not to be 
slaves to sin. So what are the things that enslave you? What are the things, if you're a Christ follower, maybe you're not a Christ follower, what are the, the sins that, that enslave you? Maybe it's envy. Maybe, maybe your thing is that you can't stand other people having something that you don't have. It's simple, right? It seems like it's got this tiny little place in our heart, though, and it seems to manifest in all sorts of ways. We start to change how we live our lives. We ch- change what we buy, change how we live our lives because envy's got our hearts. Maybe it's pride. Maybe maybe. Maybe the thing that's chief in your heart, what's on the throne of your life, is this need to be viewed as significant or important or better than other people. This thing will get in the way of Jesus quicker than almost anything. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's, maybe it's lusting over, uh, you know, a, a, a woman or a man. Maybe it's lusting after a certain lifestyle. Whatever it is, what we're saying is that what we want is chief in our hearts. It's on the throne of our hearts. Maybe it's anger. Maybe, maybe you're the type of person that will, will hulk out when things don't go your way. Like, maybe you're the type, like, I'm going to just be really honest. If I can just lay myself bare. There's times when, when things don't go my way and when things start stacking up on top of each other and your day's not going well. And then that one little thing tips over the whole stack. You're trying to spin all these plates and whatever, and maybe, maybe something tiny happens, and then all of a sudden you lose it. And you realize that your peace has been stolen by your desire to have things the way you want to have them. At the end of the day, these all end up as idols in our, they're golden calves. And maybe it's something else in your life. Whatever it is, whatever's in the way of your relationship with Jesus, we are no different then Aaron and the Israelites at the base of Mount Sinai saying, hey, let's make ourselves a God. And let's, let's say of this God, this lowercase g God, that he brought us out of Egypt, that he's the one who's taking care of us, that he's the one who created us, that he's the one who's sustaining us, he's the one who's giving us faith. And essentially what we're looking at is like, look at my car. Look at my, look at my house. Look at my job. Look at my bank account. And there's this thing that brings you the most joy. And what we would say is that, that is your God. That's a dangerous place to be. This is Jesus talking to the Israelites. Hey, it's never been about who your great-grandpa is. It is about what Jesus did on the cross. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples. The big word here is idolatry. We're no different from the Israelites at the base of Mount Sinai when we do this. Because we put ourselves in shackles just like they did. And I think the big point for me, this is the big thing I read here in this. And if, if you're taking notes, just write this with me. Um, they were freed from their slavery, but they weren't living out of their freedom. They were freed from slavery, right? They were freed from this physical bondage. But there was a spiritual bondage inside their hearts, deep-rooted. And they weren't living out of that. And so... You may think that something has got you enslaved right now, but you're mistaken because that thing is just pointing to a desire in your heart. And if the desire in your heart is not God, then I want to tell you, just, I'm your friend, I love you. You are an idol worshiper and not one of God's children. If the car if the house, if the bank account, if a perfect status, right, in, in, in community, if, if finding your hope in your kids, if finding your hope in, in a certain way of life, 
is at the end of the day. And listen, I can't see this from the outside looking in. I can't see your heart. Now, God sees your heart. I can't. I don't know what it is. But I'm, I'm challenging you to do some soul searching right now and to look deep inside because, honestly, some of us, we would call ourselves Christ followers, but practically we're chasing after some other things. Practically, we're like everything in our lives is arranged around, is it going to be this that saves me? Is it going to be this that saves me? Is it going to be my bank account? We would never say our bank account saves us. We would never say our bank account sends us to heaven. We would never say that our house, but it does bring us most joy. And we've got to be worried because we are not living out of our freedom in Christ in that case. Everyone is either going to fall into one of two camps here today. Either you are a slave to sin, meaning you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ. And what he says is, is you don't have to do anything. It's a free gift. In fact, at the end of, of Romans chapter 6, um, if I can just read this to you, this is not going to be on the screen, but at the end of Romans chapter 6, he's going to talk. This is a verse that maybe you've heard before. Um, 623, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the truth is, the whole time he's talking, Paul is talking in Romans about how we ought not to be slaves to sin, that we ought to be freed up to follow Jesus. We ought not to live in that slavery. So, so some of us today have these shackles on, maybe because we never placed our faith in Jesus Christ. But maybe you're in a camp over here who's saying, like, I am, I am one with Jesus Christ. I, am, I have surrendered my life to him. But maybe you got to do some soul searching today because practically you're not living out of that freedom. Wherever you are on the spectrum, and maybe you are in a good place where you, you have found your identity in Christ and you have not believed the lie that somehow these other things provide your identity or your name or your, you know, your relationship with Jesus. Whatever the case is, I want to I challenge you to do some soul searching. If you just close your eyes for just a moment, I'm going to ask us all to do just some thinking here. Um, the truth is that Jesus um, did come as the perfect sacrifice. He left heaven to be here with us on earth, to not just preach, <laughs> not just to live a perfect life, but to, to actually die a perfect, sinless death because he was the, the lamb that was slain that was worthy to take on the sins of the entire world, past, present, and future. If you have never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, it's as simple as this. He says, if you will just confess your sins, if you will just Claim me as Lord, as Son of God. If you will just follow me, if you'll abide in my word, you can be my disciple. With every eye closed, if you were just be one of those people that would say, I need to place my faith in Jesus today, would you just slip up your hand? No one is looking. No one is peeking. This is a decision between you and God. If you would say, I need to place my faith in Jesus. Awesome, you can put those hands down. If you need to make that decision today, it's a personal decision. You don't need to talk to me specifically. You just need to pour your heart out to God in prayer. 
And so I would suggest you do that. When you pray that prayer, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he rescues you from your sin, your slavery, and he puts all of that away. And I'd love to talk to you after if that's you. Maybe some of us in here, and I'd like to pray for you as well. Maybe you're the kind of person who would say, yep, I have been set free from my slavery and sin, but I have placed those shackles back on my wrists. I, uh, I give too much space in my heart to stuff, to money, to image, to family, to all this kind of stuff. And, and it has taken the place of God on the throne of my heart. Would you just slip up your hand and I'll pray for you. No big, no big uh, counseling session here. We just want to pray for you. Awesome, you can put those hands down. Wherever you are today, I hope you know that um, the whole reason that our church is here is not to uh, preach a message of self-righteousness. Like, we, are, we don't have it all together. We don't, we're not all okay here. We're, we're all on a journey and on a path together to get to um, a relationship with Jesus Christ. And what we know is that he offers that relationship on the basis of his son's sacrifice and not on how good we are and not on how special we are. So if you put your faith in Jesus Christ today, know that we are celebrating with you, that there's a big party in heaven today celebrating with you. And if you are um, asking for prayer today, I'm gonna pray for you and then we'll close. God, we're, we're, we're people coming from all kinds of different places today. None of us perfect. None of us got it all together, uh, especially me. Um, the basis of our faith is not that somehow we become perfect when we become saved, but, but that we are looked at by you as having the righteousness, that we are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. And, and when you see us, you see your son, Jesus, and how perfect he was, not because we're perfect, but because he gave his righteousness to us. He gave his, his perfection to us. Lord, so when, when we place our faith in Jesus, though, it doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that we're going to make every decision perfectly. And so for those of us that need to have a moment where maybe it's a, a burning bush moment where we're standing on some holy ground and maybe we are remembering that we need to put you on the throne of our hearts, God. We need to place you as the foremost, as the, as the preeminent Lord, Savior, King, Master of our lives, where nothing else takes that place. It's good to have family. It's good to have a good job. It's good to have money in the bank account. It's good to have a house and a roof over our shoulders. It's good to have nice clothes and all that stuff. It's good to have friends and power and status and happiness and all that. But it is secondary to the whole reason that we were created, which is to reflect you in your glory. God, thank you that you have not left us alone. Lord, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but when we follow you, abide in your word, when we surrender, we are alive in Christ together. Lord, thank you for that. So for those of us that have placed ourselves in those shackles, Lord, I pray that we would remember who we are, which is a son or a daughter of the king, and we are uh, a royal priesthood, that we are a holy nation, and, and that when we came crawling back to you, asking for forgiveness, you 
lavished it on us with this overflowing heart of forgiveness and grace. You put the signet ring on us, the robe on us, the shoes on us. The, you fed us and threw a party for us when we came home to you, Lord. So let us not get to a place where we think that we can somehow pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and earn that. God has been purchased for us. Lord, I pray that we would live out of the true nature of who we are, which is people who have had their salvation purchased. And we are going to be thankful for that and live out of that. So God, if those of us that have some business to do with you, maybe we need to have conversations, maybe we need prayer, let's have that happen right now. Lord, let's not let this day end before we do some business with you. And God, I pray that the rest of us would would walk away um, either making a decision to follow you or making a decision to walk out our nature, which is son or daughter of the king. I pray that those of us in this room that have not placed their faith in Jesus would do that today. Lord, that's, that's the whole point of this life is to find our identity in you. God, we love you. Thank you so much for everything you've done to come across the universe to save us. And we were still spitting in your face. We were still sinning at the right time Christ died for for us. Thank you for that. Lord, we have peace knowing that. Lord, it's your name we pray.